Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 40. Now, here's Dave. Well, thank you, music team, and uh, we appreciate your hard work and the uh, the diligence each of you put into that in the preparation for these times together. It's wonderful to meet together in this capacity. Do we have an amen? Amen. Yes, it is. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's good. It's good to gather together once more. And uh, I, I'm impressed. Uh, the, the, the theme for the bulletin was revival. Now, about, about a year and a half ago, our Bible study group started praying for revival in the north. And all of a sudden, things started changing with things that we would have not expected. Um, there were some pretty major issues that had come to the front, forefront in our country. They seemed to have come out of those prayers. But it's my conviction, and many of us are in agreement on this, that God has used a little virus, some say about 1.5 microns, is that close there, Dave, approximately? It's maybe smaller even. To uh, do that which we could not do. And uh, to bring people to the reality that we all have appointments. And there's one appointment we are all going to face and that's death. The appointment of death. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. And that comes right out of Hebrews as well. And this little book that we've been studying is so profoundly important at this time in, in our history. In 2020, July the 5th. Let's just further look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Lord, we pause and say thank you. We're glad that we have your word in front of us, that we can trust your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And in these dark times, we sure need your light. We sure need your, your word to set us on the correct path. And so we prayed this morning that for those who are discouraged, you may encourage. For those who are needing instruction, our hearts may be open. For it's only truly your Holy Spirit that can instruct us. We're such hard-headed, hard-hearted people, Lord, that only you can warm the heart to receive your word. And then, too, Lord, we know that there are people that not only are grieving, but are sorrowing. And, Lord, we pray that you might replace that sorrow and turn it into the garments of praise and the oil of gladness. For one can only endure so much sorrow and then it just becomes a breaking point. And so, Lord, we pray that in the midst of these trying times, your presence will be here this morning and that you might instruct us from your word. For you are good and your mercy is from everlasting. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that we're looking at is Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, verses 23 to the end of the chapter. 
So um, it's kind of like as, as every uh, person that's been speaking on this this book has discovered, we're we're kind of going into a letter, a thirteen or fourteen page letter, and taking one page out of that and trying to say, um, here's what it's trying to say as we best understand it. And so some of us have been following it. Some of us are first time here or thereabouts. Some others have uh, been missing. So let's just do a quick recap. We'll try to do it in a very short fashion. Book of Hebrews, written to Hebrew Christians. The Word of God was being delivered. We don't know who actually authored it. Some say Barnabas, some say Paul. It has all the marks of Paul. But we can't be sure because it wasn't identified. But it certainly was looked upon from the day one that it was in God's authoritative word. And was it ever needed? And it's needed today. I don't know if you're aware, but there's a huge movement going on in North America, actually worldwide, called Torah Christians. And the two are actually a bit oxymoron. There's a bit of opposition there because the Torah is, speaking of the first five books, of the Bible, which we say we believe, but we also say that there has been a new covenant, a new arrangement that has been taken on by the Lord himself, and that God, through Jesus Christ, has entered into a new relationship, no longer by the sacrifices of bulls and goats and blood, but rather by the sacrifice of his own son once and for all. And we've already studied that. But the Torah Christian movement says, no, these perpetual sacrifices need to go on and on and on. So you have the Passover still being still being offered. You have a Feast of Tabernacles still going. There is a big movement all across the states in this area. And in fact, so much so that last night, or was it the night before, because time seems to get a little jumbled sometimes, I was looking at an internet website where... A gentleman was saying, new Bible translation here in Israel, except it's missing the New Testament. It's called the Torah Bible, but it doesn't have the story of Jesus. And every part of the Old Testament is full of Jesus. He is there. We don't have to put him there. He is there. And so the Hebrew message is simply this. There were Christians who were going back to Judaism. They were going back to that which they had left. They were going back to ceremony, incense, back to ritual, back to robes, back to all the things that were part and parcel of the of the priesthood. And they were saying that's better that's better than what we have right now. In Jesus. And he's saying, no, Jesus is better. He's better than the priesthood. Better than Aaron. Better than... He belongs to the Melchizedek order. He's the better order. He belongs to the perfect sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And so, as the writer comes to chapter 11, he says, now, how do you enter into this relationship with this better one? It's not through works. It's through faith. Unless you would suggest that this is a new concept, let me show you how the Old Testament is full of men and women of faith. 
You see, somebody said to me, well, I, I kind of thought, and this is, you may have even heard this. I thought people got right with God in the Old Testament by sacrifice. Yes and no. Because the writers of the New Testament make it clear that a person is justified by faith. And this whole chapter speaks of that matter. He's already talked about in the first seven verses the essence of faith. Faith is the essence of things hoped for, the proof of the reality not visible. It's the hope for things which we have not yet received. And of course, eternal life is something we enjoy presently. Currently, we who by faith have embraced and come into the family of God, but we really haven't got it in its entirety and in its fullness. It's kind of like somebody saying to you, listen, here's a Here's a coupon, and it's going to be good on this date. It's going to be good for the most amazing meal you've ever had. It's going to give you the most amazing vacation you've ever had. It's going to give you the most beautiful home you've ever had. And it's going to give you all that you need, including an amazing reunion with loved ones. But you can't cash it in right now. The coupon is still waiting for you to exercise faith all through life. The Hebrews were having a hard time exercising that faith. And it says that, well, there were people who exercised that faith before the flood. Abel and Enoch. During the flood, there's verse 7, Noah. Uh, Abraham, after the flood, in verse 8, by faith he obeyed. In verse 11, Sarah also received strength to conceive. Verse, that's pretty amazing. These all died in faith, having received the promises, but not having, and seen them afar off, and were assured of them, embracing them and confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. I'm trying to have a combination of keep this mask on and read. And it's a challenge. <laughs> Because it wants to droop down, and then I can see again, and then I put on my glasses afterwards, and they start to fog up again, and I'm back in my foggy world. And you said to me, well, so what's different from that? <laughs> You're always in a foggy world, Dave. <laughs> well, yeah, I would agree. There's a pretty, pretty bit of truth there. So, uh, let's read. This is the chapter that we're looking at, 23 to verse 40. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. Verse 23. Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And by faith, Moses, when he became an age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the riches of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Seas by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Wow. So, all through the book of Hebrews, there's a theme that keeps coming back. And it's verses... 38 of chapter 10, actually. You may have already spotted it. He says, 
as he quotes the Old Testament, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Do you want to give pleasure to God? Is that even possible? Yes, by walking in faith and trust in his promises. This verse comes from Habakkuk 2 and 4. And it's the same verse that Paul quotes in Romans 1.17. And what is he saying? He's saying the whole of the Old Testament is not only that men and women who by faith see amazing things happen, but their faith is not in themselves, but in the living God who promises these things for them. And the just shall live. Did you catch that? In evangelical circles, we have a great emphasis, have you been born again? I wish we would have even greater emphasis, are you living the Christian life? Because you cannot live the Christian life unless you are truly born again. But you can say you're born again, and that kind of, whoa, I'm under the banner of being born again. Why is there so much ungodliness and sin under the name of Christianity? Many of us who are claiming to be born again have never experienced repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine, real faith in Jesus Christ. And so, this passage that we're looking at today, I wanted to zero in on Moses. Because there's a few things that Moses, discuss, as we look at Moses' life, faith becomes taught. Now, this is critical to the person who is going back into Judaism. Because who was the father of Judaism in that day? It was Father Moses. And now the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look at Moses. His whole life was breathed by faith. First of all, in his birth, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents. When they saw he was a handsome child, they were not frightened by the king's edict. So what are we getting at here? Faith is taught to a little child. I'm so glad there's a few little children here today because we need to teach the next generation the message of the gospel. And we cannot believe for them, but we can certainly give them the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word, I'm so encouraged when I hear of Timmy and others who are memorizing God's word. Kudos to you, Carol. Because there and, and all those who are teachers here who are teaching the word of God that is how a person will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Word is the seed. We need to plant the seed in the hearts of the Word. We cannot, we cannot cause them to believe, but we can cause the seed to be implanted. And the more seed, the more chances that there will be life. I should know I'm not a very good gardener, but I do know this, that life springs forth life. And if you have a good growing plant, and it's from good stock, you can get... Life, even as a nasty, poor gardener. I've tried to do gardening. I don't know how many of you have the perfect gardens, but mine is anything but. And the only thing my garden can grow is rhubarb. And I'm trying vainly to grow, grow a little grape tree and, a, and an apple tree. And that's about it. Oh, no, I have a pine tree garden now. It used to be potatoes and, and peas. Unfortunately, they never went anywhere. But the pine tree liked that soil. And so I'm getting a nice little crop of pine trees. So anybody wants a pine tree, see me afterwards and I can give you a pine tree and you can grow one of these pine trees that seems to be growing quite nicely. You see, we have to work with the garden we're given. 
What garden are you given? Are you working it? Are you working with the children that God has given you? See, Moses' mom and dad exercise faith. And faith is passed on. You see, it says, first of all, that when Pharaoh charged the people saying, every son that is born you will cast into the river, in Exodus 2.1 it says, then there went a man of the house of Levi and he took a daughter of Levi and the woman conceived. He was not afraid of the edict of the king. He had a son. And when they saw that he was godly and good, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she made for him an ark of bulrushes, dabbed it with slime and pitch, and put the child in, and she laid it by the river's bank. You see, faith was exercised by the mom and the dad. There's no way that Moses could exercise faith. And yet he said, by faith, his faith was being transmitted from his parents. Doesn't mean he was, at that point, able to believe. Simply, he was resting in the promises, resting in the joy of what the mom and dad had been doing for him. And what do you do with the child that's gone astray? Never stop praying and never stop trusting. Because there is a strong promise that I like to encourage believers, parents with. And that's the story of the Philippian jailer. And when... He said, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your house. And it says, he and his house believed. And I'd like to suggest that there's a, a reason why you've been brought into a relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have children that are yet believing, trust Cry to God. Ask for their hearts to be softened that they might believe, even as Moses needed. So they hid Moses. They were not afraid. Fear is the opposite of the love of God. When we really love God, we're not afraid to obey Him. How do we know that? First John 4.18 says it that way. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. And I love what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in thee also. It's really something that it was the mothers and the grandmother that transmitted the message of the gospel to this young son of the faith, Timothy. We have a powerful ministry that often gets overlooked. It's called mothering. It's called parenting. And mothers and fathers, we need to remember that those children are really your legacy. It's not how big a house you have, whether you have a second cottage or a first cottage, whether you have a new car or an old car. It's what are we doing with our children to bring them to faith in Christ? Do we have a family altar, a time when we really take time to read God's Word and honor Him on a weekly or a daily basis? It's even nicer when it's a daily basis. I remember when we first became acquainted with the gospel back when I was quite a bit younger and my dad said, we're going to start reading the daily bread. We said, the what? He said, the daily bread. We're going to start reading it and we're going to take time to have a little reading every day. Supper time. 
We said, oh, that's kind of cool. We'll see how that works out. Now, you must know that our family, we're, we're like the, the rowdiest family going. We would fight at the table. I know none of you ever have kids that fight at the table. But we would literally kick each other underneath the table, pull each other's hair, play tricks on each other. And Dad, God bless him, he's, he's looking at us and saying, I'm going to try this. I'm really going to try this. And it was amazing. We'd sit down in the supper time and we'd have a few comments and Dad would say, so what do you think of this topic or what do you think of that? And we'd look at him and start taking different positions and start arguing with one another. He'd say, okay, okay, enough arguing. Let's see what God's got to say. And we'd have the daily bread and the story and the message. I don't know if he was reading beforehand. He says he wasn't. It was just that they would always tie in with what was going on in our lives. So it was a big help to us as we grew. Because we suddenly realized that God was concerned about us, even in the little things. Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's pretty significant, isn't it? He had all the privileges of being a prince while his own family was still a prisoner. He had the opportunities to being the richest of the rich while his own family was still in squalor and poverty. By the way, who are the rich today? I hate to say it, but we are the rich in this world. And we have a responsibility to take those riches and use them for God and for good. Faith makes choices. He decided to esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And we still need to make those choices. He chose his family. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. Have you chosen the family of God? You see, he had to actually choose his family. Now, that's a, that's a strange statement, but it's true. He was given the opportunity as an adoptive son in an Egyptian royal priesthood princely family he was given the opportunity to, to become and embrace all that Egypt offered. And it says he looked at that and he looked at God. He said, it's no comparison. Who are we looking at? The Hebrews that Paul or Barnabas or whoever wrote the Hebrews is talking to is saying, get your priorities straight. Only one life will be soon passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Where are you looking? And in chapter 12, I'm not going to preempt it or spoiler alert or anything, but there's, there, he comes to a kind of a climax, a pinnacle in chapter 12. Right now he's looking at the Old Testament, men and women of God. And here we have Moses who chose the family of God. Moses abandoned Egypt. Faith knows how to leave. How much have we left Egypt? Egypt is a picture in the Old Testament and in the New of the world. That which we esteem valuable that which we, the fame, the popularity, the joys of the world. And when you get on the mission field, as those who have been on mission trips know, this ain't the world in its, in its comfort zones like the world that is out there from third world missions. We often talk about, you know, the air conditioner broke, broke down and God answered my prayer and got me a new air conditioner or repaired the air conditioner. That's a first world problem. You know, the, the third world people are looking for a loaf of bread to, be, to be, supply their needs. When they pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's literally, that's what they need to survive. And so, 
He was willing to give up things. What do we need to give up? Perhaps a few luxuries, perhaps some of our time for pleasure, perhaps some of the fame of this world, perhaps the sweat of working for God. And Jesus is the one to whom we are speaking about because he was willing to give up all. We were hearing of that this morning. That he gave up everything that he might purchase you and me. He came into this world. He didn't need to. He owned the world. He was the king and he always will be the king. But he comes in as a poor child born in a ox stall, laid in a manger, surrounded by stinky animals and worshipping shepherds and a few kings that show up later on. For 30 years, you don't hear anything from the scriptures about his life. What were the silent years? That tells us something about his, his life. He just went about doing what he was called to do. What about us? And then he goes to the cross. Didn't need to, but he said, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to be forsaken. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark 15, 34. And he endured. He saw the invisible one. Just like Moses, he saw the invisible one and he chose to suffer on our behalf. Moses chose the riches of Christ as opposed to the world. That's pretty pretty amazing. Moses chose Christ. And the Hebrew who would be listening to the writer would say, I thought he chose the tabernacle. I thought he chose the, the Torah. I thought he chose the law. No, the law only shows you how poorly you do. It's like a report card. You know, the report card really just shows you what you have done with the year. And this is the time of the year when the report cards have gone and come. And uh, how, how are you doing with God's report card? You see, faith knows how to pass. We always talk about, oh, I passed my year. That's sort of the trend for the kids and this is going to be an interesting year. Some of them passed without having any tests. We say, how do you do that? Well, check out 2020, the first half of the year, and you'll see how we did that. Faith knows how to pass. They passed through the Red Sea on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do it, they were drowned. You know, we use the word pass a number of ways. We pass a car, we pass a stone, we pass a grade. All different ways of using it. Here, Moses' face was the type that walked. It moved forward. So, when we leave this place, after we have a little time of fellowship outside, and um, what will leave with us? How will we be different because we have been with the Word of God? It says that faith, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt passed through the Red Sea, and then he goes on to talk about the walls of Jericho and the many other examples of faith. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, the prophets, David. And he gives a whole list of all the things they did. And the question is, what are we doing as we walk by faith?
is there something that's happening in our lives? Because there certainly should be. By faith, we pass for God. We walk forward. So does it matter, this message today? Well, it should. You see, if you were uh, talking to a friend and talking about your headaches, and the friend said, well, I think you should maybe consult a cancer specialist. I think you have cancer. You'd probably say, uh... I'm not so sure. Now, if your friend happened to be a, a surgeon, a doctor, like Dr. Dave here or somebody else, said maybe you should talk to a cancer specialist. You know, I'm sensing some things that sort of fit that category. Um, you, you, you maybe listen a little bit stronger. The writer of the Hebrews understands the message. He understands or the, 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 the person to whom they're writing and He's saying Jesus is not only better than what you would come out of, but he is superior, but not in disagreement with the Old Testament. Over and over again, the writer is saying the ways of Christ are superior. Tradition can be something we can be grateful for, but it will never save you. I've had people say, well, you know what? I was a... I remember one person said, I was a member of the... Well, my heritage goes back to the Empire Loyalists. I was one of the ones who stood up for the king and left the United States. Just had, you know, Independence Day yesterday and Canada Day a couple of days before that. And by the way, I kind of like that we got there first with Canada Day, uh, even though it took us another hundred years to finally become a country. But uh, just the same. The Independence Day celebration is a celebration of a divorce. Because we were all part of British North America at one point, before that war happened. And so, I just think about this fact that the Old Testament is full of tradition, but it's more full of Jesus. And we need to see Jesus. One day, Mr. Glasgow visited a Christian bookstore, purchased a copy called Alarm to Unconverted Sinners. He tended to send it to a friend who needed to receive Christ. But on the bus ride home, he placed the, bu- bus, the book sorry, on the seat beside him, and to his dismay, he forgot to pick it up and left it there. Three years later, in Glasgow, he was speaking at a noonday prayer meeting, and after prayer, a man stood up and said this, three years ago, I found a book, Alarmed to an Unconverted Sinner, on a seat in a bus. And I took it home. I read it. And the Holy Spirit was pleased to show me my lost condition as a sinner before God. And I found rest and peace in Jesus. Are we witnessing for the Lord Jesus? You say, well, I haven't got the courage to walk up to somebody. You don't have to. You can leave a word, a news testament, uh, a tract. A message of God's grace and so many different occasions. I missed a great opportunity yesterday. We were out at Opishing Lake, uh, Opishing River, the park there, and uh, missed an opportunity to leave the Word of God with the gentleman that we met there. Had a chance to talk to him. My prayer is I'll get that opportunity again. And uh, if it's meant to be, it will. But are we taking opportunities to take the Word of God to our neighbors, to our friends? And bring with, that, bring with us the message that Jesus is the only answer in this day. How can we have faith, living by faith in these fearful times? 
We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. And if you want to get over fear, just start loving. Because when you'll be so busy loving, you won't have time to be afraid. And you'll so busy seeing God at work, you'll not be seeing that sense of fear in our hearts. And so as we conclude this morning, Moses, by faith, walked all through his life. Before he was even old enough to understand the God of creation, his parents brought him the message. He then refused to be called and identified with those of that world scene. And he was discovered that the in forsaken Egypt, he would endure as seeing him who is invisible. And then, by faith, they passed. We talk about people. This past week, we've had several people who have passed into eternity. Some of you aren't even aware of some of the very close situations that have taken place. Some of you are. Tragedies, we would call them. People who have died unexpectedly in fires, in car accidents, in drug overdoses. It's been a tough week. There are hurting people in this community who are asking, where is God? And we are his messengers to bring the message of faith to them. May we be so with his power and his love. Let's just close in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who continued steadfastly all through life looking to you and trusting in you. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us will renew our commitment even this day to say, I am the Lord's. Jesus is Lord of my life. I turn myself to you once more. In repentance, knowing that there is nothing good in us, our goodness comes from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to be men and women of faith and of love and of a sound mind, that we might share the good news of Jesus and go forth with the joy of the Lord. Again, we thank you for this time and we give you our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.